Good evening. You know, I believe that 2 Corinthians is the most personal letter that the Apostle Paul writes as we study the Bible. Paul writes 13 letters, almost half of the New Testament, and when we come to 2 Corinthians, we see a combination of things going on in Paul's life. We see, first of all, that there is a minority that's unnamed that are criticizing and opposing Paul and his claim to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. And so Paul, in this follow-up letter to a church that he has a rather lengthy uh, relationship with, he writes to defend his apostleship. And along the way, one of the things that he points to to prove that he is an apostle of Christ are all the things that he has gone through for the cause of Christ. I mean, who can forget 2 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 23, as Paul walks through all that Christianity has cost him. And yet, he is willing to do that. And we also see a note of discouragement in Paul's life. Don't know what all Paul was going through at the exact moments that the Spirit led him to write the letter to 2 Corinthians, but you can see him leaning on the promises of God as he writes to the folks at Corinth. Look at how many times he uses the word comfort, just in chapter 1. But uh, relatively speaking, compared to the rest of the Bible, he uses most of the occurrences of the word comfort in the New Testament. He understood something that all of us understand. You know, it's interesting that there's nowhere that we can go pretty much where we don't know folks that we have relationships with and that we've known. But most of you I don't know personally or don't know very well. Here's one thing I do know for sure. I know that whether you're old or young, whether you're man or woman, whether you're a new Christian or lifelong Christian, whatever your gender, your race, that you have problems. And that you probably brought those problems into the building with you tonight. They're not all the same problems, but they are problems. And the question that we've got to ask ourselves as we strive to live a life that pleases God that will cause us at the end of this life to live with Him is what do we do when life deals us a blow? You know, it's interesting that as you come to 2 Corinthians, one of the themes that the Apostle Paul unfolds in that letter is the greatness of the power of God, His majesty, His power as deity. You also can see Satan is alive and well. We're not ignorant of his devices, 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 11. He can disguise himself as an angel of light, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He deceives, he beguiles. And so we walk through this life knowing on the one hand the power that God gives us to try to live and to successfully navigate this life. And on the other side, we see that Satan stands against us and would like more than anything to see us to fall away and not to make it. There's so many inroads that can cause us to struggle. But maybe one of the biggest struggles that we face in living the Christian life is successfully handling our problems. I think to this end, as the Apostle Paul has been talking about this great ministry that he had, this great covenant that we have that exceeds even what Moses received up on Mount Sinai, that he was anxious to share that and to be able to keep his focus even as life was dealing him a blow. 
It's why the Apostle Paul says, uh, seeing that we have this ministry as we've received mercy, we faint not. But we have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness or handling the Word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And if our uh, gospel is hid... It is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus is Lord, and ourselves as His servants for your sake. For God, who caused the light to shine out of darkness, has shined into our hearts to bring forth the light of the glorious gospel of Christ in the, of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. For we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus might be revealed in our bodies. So we which live uh, are always being delivered to death for Jesus' sake that the, the, the life of Jesus might be revealed in our mortal bodies. So then death works in us, but life works in you. And us having this a measure of faith as it is written, I believe and therefore I have spoken, we also believe. And therefore speak, knowing that the God that raised up Jesus Christ from the dead shall raise us up and present us to you. For all things are for your sake." so that the grace of God through the thanksgiving of many might redound to the glory of God. For our momentary, or for our, though our outward man is decaying, yet our inward man is renewed day by day. For momentary afflictions work for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, for the things which are seen are temporary. But the things which are not seen are eternal. For we know that if the earthly tabernacle of this house were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, several things that can help us when life deals us a blow. Now, I read about a man not long ago by the name of J.L. Hunter Red Roundtree who decided at a point in his life to become a bank robber. On one August afternoon, he went into a bank in Abilene, Texas, and he held it up. And like many bank robberies that we read about, he went into that bank and he demanded of the teller that she give him all the money that she could. He didn't have a gun, but she knew the protocols there. She gave him the money, about $2,000. And he went out of the bank, got in his car, and they called him about 20 miles south of Abilene. And that's where the story got very interesting. Begin to dig into this man's life. J.L. Hunter Roundtree did not attempt a bank robbery until one day he went into Biloxi, Mississippi, and he tried to rob that bank. He was unsuccessful. And as a result of this, he was given probation. The next year, he was successful. He went into a nation's bank in Pensacola, Florida, and he did rob that bank, and they caught him, and they gave him three years in prison. He got out of prison, and he promptly went to Abilene, and he robbed that bank. But here's the thing about Roundtree. He pulled the Biloxi job when he was 87 years old. He did the Abilene job after his 91st birthday. Are you thinking with me what causes a man at that stage of his life to start robbing banks? Well, Mr. Roundtree would be happy to tell you. 
Roundtree was a successful Texas businessman who built winches for offshore drilling rigs. He had a wonderful marriage to a woman named Faye. She died, and he foolishly decided to marry a woman with a lot of problems, half his age. She had a drug problem, and so he put her in drug rehab, spent over half a million dollars before he finally divorced her. And in the process of that, a Corpus Christi bank that he had done business with forced him into bankruptcy. He said, from that point forward, I didn't like banks, and I decided that I was going to get even. And I did. He said, banks are the easiest things in the world to rob. All I have is social security, and I like to live good. You think about somebody like that, and I don't know what comes to your mind, but several questions cross my mind. How does somebody so close to eternity behave so brazenly sinfully? How come it is that so often what we can find ourselves doing when we're faced with difficulties is we try to blame others, banks, wives, hardships for the sin that we commit? How easily bitterness can become a sin problem in our lives. And how often it is that the problems that we face in this life can either make us stronger or they can break us. When we consider how God and His sovereignty has made things, You know, God could have decided that a non-Christian would never have anything but problems and struggles nonstop all the time. And he could have likewise decided that a Christian would never go through any of these things, but he didn't. Of every Christian that I've ever known in my life, every one of them have dealt with problems and struggles. We have tears. We struggle with emotional pain like anyone else. We have to face up with the pain and the sorrow of our sins the same as anyone else. We've made our painful trips to the cemetery. We have been hurt and betrayed by others. We have suffered a series of losses, including financial losses in our lives. And so the question comes, what do we do when life deals us a blow? I believe that God, no matter what the subject is, has answers for us. And so I want us, for the few minutes that we have, to focus on 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and find five things that we can do when we are crushed and we are hit by the things of this life. First of all, when life deals you a blow, focus on your purpose. Now, I want you to notice in verses 1 through 5 that even though Paul has gone through so much, he focuses on what his purpose is. Why is he here? So often the difficulties of our life can so distract us that we lose sight of why God has us here on this earth in the first place. And as we walk through the text here, we see that there are at least three things that are part of our purpose that will help us when life deals a blow. First of all, we are here to serve You know, the Apostle Paul points out that he and those with him, he says that we have this ministry. That's a word from the word family that gives us the word service. And deacon, it's to to focus on how we can reach others through the actions of our lives. And then the Apostle Paul says, we preach not ourselves but Christ and ourselves as servants for your sake. You know, as we think about Paul and his proclamation of this, it reminds us of the greatest one of all. The one who certainly was acquainted with sorrows and griefs. 
But what did he say? Jesus says in Matthew 20 and verse 28, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. If we will focus on finding somebody to help when we're going through difficulties and problems, it can help us to make it through that trial and tragedy. It can also help us to keep focused on our purpose. You know, when you're going through difficulties... Realize that there's always somebody who's going through something more difficult than you. It doesn't take very long to look around and realize that there are quite a few people who are going through things that you would not trade what you're going through for what they're going through. And also, when you think about the circumstances of your life, realize that it could always be worse than it is right now. Once read about a woman who lived in a small hut in uh, an African nation. She had her husband and five small children. And then she got the news that her in-laws were coming to stay with her. And so she wanted to know how to cope with this, uh, this new difficulty in her life. And so she went to the village sage and she asked him, what can I do to make this a more happy circumstance? He said, take the family cow and put it in your house and come see me in a week. She goes off and she does that, thinking that's a little bit strange, but he is the village sage. She does it. She comes back in a week and he says, how are things now? She says, they're worse than before. What can I do? He says, take the family rooster and bring it in the house and see me in a week. She does that. She comes back seven days later. He says, how are things now? She says, they've never been worse than this. What can I do now? He says, take the family cow and take it out of the house and see me in a week. What is he trying to get her to do? To see that as bad as she thought that it was, it could be worse, and that perhaps with better perspective, it's not so bad after all. But you know, in serving, we find ourselves in a place where joy is more accessible. Paul says, Brethren, you've been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty as an occasion to flesh, but by love serve one another. Galatians 5.13 Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. If we're going to be successful when the blows of life beat against us, we've got to focus on our purpose and we're here to serve. But we're also here to renounce. The Apostle Paul says in verse 2 that they renounces three things. And we as Christians have got to join him in that. We renounce unrevealed sins. These are the things that people hide because they're ashamed of them. They're conscience killers. And the Apostle Paul says it's so easy for us to try to, to bury those things. We feel like if nobody sees them, then perhaps we're getting away with them. Paul says, we renounce those hidden things of dishonesty. I believe in context, he's talking about those false teachers, but we find ourselves in a situation where ethics are eroding and people's moral compass is being distorted. And God needs us to stand up for, for Him in His way. You know, it's a tendency as old as man that when we do those things that aren't right in the sight of God, that we try to hide them. That's what Adam and Eve did in the garden. But think about uh, Achan in this great victory that God has given the people of God. He sees the spoils of war, the things that were under the ban, and he sees them and he covets them and he takes them and he hides them. And the cost of that was great. 
What about Elisha? When he heals Naaman of his leprosy in 2 Kings chapter 5, he goes up to Naaman, a very thankful, grateful man who offers him a great reward physically. And the man of God refuses that, but his servant Gehazi was with him. And he goes a certain distance and he turns back under a guise. And he goes back to Naaman and he says, Oh, Elisha's changed his mind. Won't you give me that? And he does. And he takes it and he hides it in his house on his way back. But God saw it and Elisha saw it and Gehazi had Naaman's affliction given to him. Or what about Ananias and Sapphira? They sold a piece of property like Barnabas did, and they brought it, they misrepresented what they had done. They lied to the Holy Spirit. It was those things that they thought nobody would ever know. Even when life is, is blowing in on us, what we've got to do is renounce those, uh, those unrevealed sins and also those unscrupulous attitudes. This what-can-I-get-away-with attitude. An untrue doctrine. He says, we're not adulterating the Word of God. It's easy for us in this life to bend what God's Word says, 2 Peter 3 and verse 16. For example, God's Word says that God loves all. John 3 and verse 16, the golden text of the Bible, that God loves people so much that He wants all to be saved. 1 Timothy 2, 3 and 4. But sometimes we twist that to say that God's going to save all. Or we might look at a passage that indicates to us a truth with regard to the idea that faith is essential. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Hebrews 11 and verse 6, but we can twist that and say, faith is all that you need. Ephesians 4.32 says that we're to be kind to all, tender-hearted. But some say that that means that you can't uh, speak about any kind of immorality, that you can't uh, make a moral judgment. Now, this may seem counterintuitive, but while we are going down the road of life and it is dealing us some crushing blows, that we need to renounce those things. God needs us sitting on the wall and defending His Word. We're also here to preach Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul says that our ministry is to preach Jesus. I don't know how many of you know the late Andrew Connolly. I've made several trips to Tanzania. He was a great pioneer in mission work after World War II. And he once was remarking on Mark 16, verse 15. He says that we almost to a man uh, appreciate the condemnation of the disobedient where Jesus says, the one that does not believe shall be condemned. He says, but so often we miss the one command of the Great Commission. He says, go preach. You see, until every Christian sees ourselves as a soul winner, the Great Commission is not going to be carried. In this verse, Jesus does not say, wait, sit, pay, or pray. He says, go preach. Even as life is beating down on us and our problems are beating up on us, we have got to focus on our purpose. Then second, when life is dealing you a blow, you need to recognize your power source. Verse 7 Paul says that we have this treasure in earthen vessels. What the Apostle Paul is doing here is he is appealing to a situation that would have been known to the average person in the first century world. Most people in Jesus' day were poor. And they may have had a few family valuables. It might have been jewels. It might have been money. What they would often do is they would hide that in an old, very basic pot or vase. Unattractive worth very little, if anything. The Apostle Paul says we're like that. We're like those earthen vessels. And you might think about how we are. 
Well, for one thing, we are made of the same material to the people that we are sharing the gospel with. A variation on what we're doing in sharing the gospel is being one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. We have the same struggles as the people that we're trying to share the gospel with. We just want to help them to understand the grace of God and how they can access it. Another thing that we could see by way of application here is that some of God's greatest servants have been physically unspectacular, plain and ordinary. We also look at that pot and we realize it has weaknesses and it has flaws. God knew that about us. He knew in the foolishness of preaching that the people that he would have sharing the good news with others are people just like you and me with our foibles and our faults and our struggles. Just like that clay pot, we are those which look completely ordinary to the world, but we're to be more substance than we are to be form. And also in this, we see that we're functional in the hands of God. Though we're worthless to man, we're valuable to God. I know this because I look at the one who made the greatest impact of all, a man who had plenty of struggles, Hebrews 4 and verse 15. And Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 53 and verse 2 that he had no form or majesty that we should behold him or beauty that we should be attracted to him. We remind ourselves that some of us are more attractive than others of us, but that all of us serve a great purpose, even in the midst of the things that we're dealing with that pull us down and weight us down that we have the, the, the power that helps us to make it through. We recognize our power source. In a great house, there are vessels of gold and silver, but there are also those of wood and earthenware, some to honor and some to dishonor. But we are to be sanctified, set apart for holy use, prepared for every good work, useful to the master. As I look at my life, I realize that my power, my ability to make it, is my Lord. And if I'm going to be successful when the blows of life come, I've got to recognize my power source. But then third, what I've got to do is I've got to properly view my problems. When life deals me a blow, I've got to look at things as they really are. The Apostle Paul says, look, if you're looking at my life, what you're seeing is, is it looks like things are falling apart, but they're not. And it had to be doubly hard for Paul because everything that the Apostle Paul is suffering at the time that he writes this letter was simply for doing what was right. He was preaching Jesus Christ, and as the result of that, he was struggling. Remember, he, he was hard-pressed. Things were pressing in on him. Think of like a garbage compactor that's coming in close. He says, that's happening, but I'm not crushed. I'm perplexed. I don't understand this. I'm persecuted. I'm struck down. But it's not the end. How am I going to make it as I face the difficulties and the struggles of my life? I need to recognize what God can do with those problems. Back in the old days of construction crews, they would use smudge pots to light the, the area where they were working. And the, the, that smudge pot would have an open flame. George, who was on a work crew, had his four-year-old daughter, Sarah, with him. And she got too close to the flame. And her legs, her pant legs, caught on fire. And as a result of that, she had scars on her leg, like jigsaw, jigsaw puzzles, uh, pieces uh, along the, the length and the breadth of her leg. And when she was in third grade, she was asked, if you had one wish, what would it be? She said, I wish everybody had scars on their legs, just like me. 
You know, so often when we're going through difficulties, we want everybody to understand what it is we're going through. Maybe we feel like nobody understands, and maybe we forget that God understands and knows it all. What can God do through the problems that we're going through? If we are faithful in the midst of those trials, what kind of an opportunity does it present for people who are watching us through that difficulty? What will they do? It may provide an example for us so that someone seeks Christ more than they have before. Or it may open a door of opportunity where we can speak to somebody and we can share with them the strength of faith that we've had through this trial. When life deals you a blow, properly view your problems. They're not to be the center and the focus of life. They are to point people to the Christ who is in us. When life deals you a blow, what else you can do is maintain your principles. In the midst of all that Paul was going through, he says that having this measure of faith according as it is written, I believe and therefore I've spoken, we also believe, therefore we also speak. You know, what trials can do for your life, it can, it can help you to, to know exactly, to bring into focus what you really believe. How much of what you believe tonight is tied down in Scripture? And how much of what you believe is a little bit more the, of convenience than conviction? In this text, I want you to notice that Paul gives the affirmation of his conviction, and that is, um, I believe and therefore I speak. When difficulties come in our life, we have greater clarity on what it is that we actually believe about God and about His guidance and His protection in our lives. We also have the reason for our conviction. Now I look across this crowd tonight and I see a Sunday night crowd, folks who are back at it again. Why are you here on a Sunday night? When there's an infinite number of other things that you might be doing, why have you chosen to be in this assembly? Now, you may give a lot of different reasons to that, but at the heart of it, if we really understand, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul says that he knows that God raised up Christ, and he's going to raise us up and present us with you. If this life was all that there was, it'd be hard to face another day, wouldn't it? The Apostle Paul says that if in this life only we have hope in Christ Jesus, we are of all men most miserable. But on the other side of that, Paul says, I know whom I believed, and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. 2 Timothy 1 and verse 12, Paul says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. John said, I saw the dead, the small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of the things which are written in the books according to their works. You know, Paul writes in the first century, a couple of decades after the resurrection, if anybody could have presented some evidence to the fact that Jesus was not raised from the dead, would it not have been the contemporaries of Paul and those who lived around that time? There have been a lot of conspiracies in history, but they don't hold together under the intense scrutiny of pressure. Somebody's going to crack and say it was all a hoax. We really hid the body. But the enemies didn't present the body. The disciples did not present the body. What was presented was the evidence that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that sleep. Why is it that we have such conviction that we live the life that we do when life is great and when life is difficult? It's because we have a reason for our affirmation. And what's the outcome? 
What do we anticipate? That by being faithful in that trial, we're going to see the goodness of God and others are going to be one to Him. When life deals you a blow, maintain your principles. But finally, when life deals you a blow, keep your perspective. Paul ends this discussion by saying, you know, here's an inevitability. On the outside, things on me seem to be falling apart. But in the in, on the inside where God is making a new life, things are not like they seem. You see, the things that bother us in this life are small potatoes. But on the inside where God is making a new life, the, does it matter the things that are here today and that are gone tomorrow? He's preparing for us eternal life. The Apostle Paul had the proper perspective. You know, I'm, I'm 52 years old. Jim and Linda Loftus uh, were members at Cold Harbor when I preached there over 20 years ago. All of us, now not Miss Linda, but Jim and I look a good bit older than we did 20 years ago. She still looks the same. But life has that effect. You know, Don and I were in school together. I've known Don since 1989. We both changed a little bit. It's just what happens in this life. The body runs down, it decays. And Paul says, here's the fact of the matter. Each and every day, you're taking a step, however big or small, closer to the grave. Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 7 says, Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit shall return unto God who gave it. In John chapter 5 and verse 28, Jesus says, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the grave shall hear His voice and shall come forth. They that have done good under the resurrection of life, they that have done evil under the resurrection of condemnation, I don't know what you're going through. It may be a heartbreaking tale. It may be something more severe than I have ever heard in my life. It may be the most severe trial that anyone on this side of time, this side of Job, this side of the cross has had to deal with. But here's the confidence that we can have. That however difficult your trial is, you know what, if you're a faithful Christian, you're going to bury it in the grave. If you're a faithful child of God, no matter how much it hurts you right now, you won't feel the pain of it in heaven. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are made more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hang on. Because at the end of that trial, it's a life far greater than we can understand and imagine in this life. The worst things that I will deal with in this life are probably going to be easier than the easiest of the trials that the Apostle Paul had in this life. But the Apostle Paul was able to keep his proper perspective. You know, I thought about something in the Sermon on the Mount. I'm sure you've probably thought of it before. That Jesus is saying that the wise man built his house and the foolish man built his house on different foundations. But whatever foundation they built their life on, storms still came. But how you survive those storms depends on the foundation that you've built your life on. When things go wrong, as they sometimes will, when the path that you're treading seems all uphill, 
When your funds are low and the bills are high and you want to smile but you have to sigh, when life is beating you down a bit, rest if you must, but never quit. When life deals you a blow, how are you going to weather that? It depends on who is in you. The Apostle Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. You have a resource to help you in the life which you now live in the flesh. You can live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. The trial you have today may be gone in a few days, a few weeks, months. You may have to persist with it for the rest of your life. But hold on to the facts that we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. That when life deals you a blow, can you remember to focus on the purpose? Remember why it is that you're here on this earth, why God has you here, and recognize what your power source is. And properly view the problems that are going on in your life and maintain your principles. Know what you believe and why you believe it. And keep your perspective that no matter what's happening on the outside, in the physical, in the material realm, that God's prepared you for something greater. He's prepared you to be with Him forever. Tonight the question is, are you prepared for what He's prepared you for? If you still have your greatest problem unresolved, if you still bear the guilt of your sins, our Lord wants you to know that He's provided the answer for that. If you'll respond to His great grace in believing that Jesus is the Son of God, if you will change your mind, your heart, that leads to a change of actions, if you will confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and you will allow yourself to be buried in water, to be immersed for the forgiveness of your sins, you can arise to walk in newness of life. And if you're a child of God and perhaps the problems of this life have caused you to take your eyes off the Master and you've sunk much like Peter and you realize your need of Him and you want to come back to Him, our Lord shows us through the parable of the prodigal son that He ever waits for you to come back to Him. Or maybe the difficulties and the problems that you're going through are so much for you that by yourself you can't handle that anymore. You need your brothers and sisters in Christ to know about it to be able to pray about it. And you need the collective strength that comes through the power of prayer. Prayer is so beneficial and powerful. Elijah prayed earnestly that it might not rain upon the earth and it rained not for about the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again. And that heaven brought forth its rain and the earth brought forth its precious fruit. But James begins that in James 5.17 by saying, Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. He was no superman. But maybe you find yourself in need of others to pray for you. If we can help you in this moment invitation, if you need to respond, won't you come right now as we stand and sing?